Kathy and I were traveling earlier this summer. Uh, we were sitting in an airport and made an acquaintance of someone there between flights, and they told us a true story about one of their acquaintances. Uh, their acquaintance had boarded the plane and arrived at the linking city, got off the plane looking for their connecting flight and was having trouble finding it. And so they ended up at a ticket agent and showed them the paperwork. Can you tell us where a flight is? We can't find it. And she studies the paperwork for a minute and informs him, uh, you don't have a connecting flight here. Uh, you boarded the wrong plane. You're in the wrong city at the wrong airport. I don't know how you got on the plane, you know, the wrong plane, they're so careful, but, it, but he did. If we have a destination in mind, that's important to know. That's a good thing. Where are we going? And if we've got a destination, how do we get there? So where are we going and how do we get there? And that's what we want to talk about this morning related to Lion and Lamb Church. This is not a study through a book or a section of the Bible. We'll be talking some scripture, but primarily who Lion and Lamb Church is and where we think we're going. And that's important for you to know. If you're newer to Lion and Lamb, and not to embarrass anyone, how many people have been here less than one year? Less than one year? Okay, maybe a fourth. If you're new to Lion and Lamb and aren't sure about where the church is going, or much less how we might get there, that's helpful uh, you may learn something and you say, man, the, the church, that's exactly where I want to get. This would be a good place to plug in. You know, on the flip side, you might say, that is not where I want to go. And th- that'd be good. And we'd say, God bless you, you know, as you, as you head on down the road. That'd be okay, too. If you're someone who's been here longer term, this is helpful to either reaffirm for us corporately or for us as individuals what the church body here thinks is important and maybe... As we talk through these things this morning, you may say, we're not making it on those things, Mike, or Kent, or Bart. We're, we're blowing it on some of the things we say are our major goals. And if that's the case, why, well, you let us know that too. So where are we at? Where are we going? How do we propose to get there? I want to start by talking about things that we uh, want to be known for. You know, there's an old uh, Baptist, I think, maxim that says something like, we don't smoke or chew, and we don't go with girls that do. And that was an attempt to, to define a person or a practice by what they don't do, you know, who we don't hang with. Uh, we want to be known as a church for what we stand for. It's fine to be known to have we're against some things that God's against. That's fine. But we want to focus on... What do we stand for? What do we believe in? What do we think is important? And on that end, in drawing some distinctions here this morning, particular to Lion and Lamb, we are not excising ourselves from the rest of the body of Christ. We understand from the Scriptures, Ephesians 4, that there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one Spirit, there's one God and Father over all. So when we draw distinctions this morning, we're not doing so not recognizing the rest of the body of Christ. And we're brothers and sisters in Christ with everyone else who calls on the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and holds to the historic faith. Articulated in the early creeds of the church, Jude talks about this, the faith once delivered for all to the saints. We're saying the same thing with the rest of the body of Christ. So the distinctions are not to somehow 
exclude ourselves from the rest of the universal church. We hold all those things in common. We have the same missions of worship and evangelism and prayer and the Scripture. We're just articulating some of the ways we think God is uniquely or particularly called lion and lamb to walk those things out. So let me start by emphasizing three of the things that we emphasize and why. And the first, if you're here any length of time at all, you know that we emphasize the Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures, call them whatever you want. This would be true and appropriate for any local body, any portion of the body of Christ at any time in history, but I think it's particularly necessary in the time and the place that we live. There's a passage in Isaiah that compares truth to a person walking into town, and it says, truth has fallen in the streets. There's no place in this town for truth to stand on its own two feet. It's fallen over. Truth is not recognized, Isaiah says, in that passage in his time and place. And that's the case, I think, in our culture today as well. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 8, verse 20. Because Israel is listening to one voice and another and wondering who really speaks for God and what what can we count on, Isaiah said this, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak, if those people that are teaching you, that you're listening to, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. There's no light. In Isaiah's day, remember, Israel had portions of what we today call the Bible. They had the law. They had some of the early prophets. And Isaiah said, if your teachers aren't speaking to you from the law and the prophets, God's word, don't listen to them. They don't have God's revelation, God's light, His truth is not coming unless their source includes God's Word. So we think it's, imp- it's particularly important in this day and age to say God's Word is the bottom line. It's the rock of truth. It's the place we build. It's our foundation corporately as well as the church universals. God's Word is the foundation and the truth. You have, if you have a study sheet, a number of scriptures, some of which I'm going to skip over for the sake of time this morning. 1 Timothy 3.15, I'm going to mention specifically, though. When Paul described the church to Timothy, he, he said to Tim, Hey, I'm writing you this letter. I hope to come and see you. But I'm telling you some things because you need to know them whether I see you or not. And as he spoke about that, he said this of the church, the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Friends, If there's one place on earth where someone should be able to go and get the truth, it's the church of the living God. We exist to support the truth. If we as a church don't found ourselves on God's Word and the Scripture, we don't have a reason to exist. God means us to be that place on the earth, lion and lamb, and the rest of the body of Christ to be the place where anyone can come and get the truth, those ultimate things related to purpose, who we are, where we're going ultimately. What ultimately counts? The church is supposed to provide that. We intend to do that. We teach the Bible in every venue we have. In Sunday school, in this service. We teach it in Mosaic, in home groups. We believe that it's as we get to know what the truth is and apply it to our lives, that's where people get abundant life. I've been speaking to people recently who just have counseling needs. We would, in the church, we would just say discipleship needs. And inevitably, it's for failure to know and apply God's Word that they find their lives tumbling out of control. 
And you'll find that if you come to terms with God, that His Word is truth and that it's worth knowing and believing, it is remarkable how much peace, how much joy, how much sanity you and I can have in our life. That comes from knowing what God says in His Word. We want to be about that. 2 Timothy 3, 15-17 is a great passage if you don't know it. You can look that one up later. We encourage everyone in the church to read, to memorize, to meditate, to love and obey the Scriptures. And to begin every day with God in His Word and in prayer. That's what we're about, bottom line. Second on our emphases, the biblical call to glorify God in our families. As you know, this is in the news every day. Parking here this morning, I'm listening to a broadcast on the news about our confusion about what is marriage and what is a family. We live in a time and a place that doesn't know what marriage is and what family is, what families are. We live in a very confused time. And because of that, we think God is particularly suited and called those in Lion and Lamb to help people invest wisely and well in their marriages and in their families. We think this is one of our strong suits. That's not bragging. That's, God has collected a, a group of people here who believe in God's call to them in their marriage and towards their children and are serious about that. And we have people here who've lived that life and who want to encourage and mentor others towards that same end to glorify God in our families. This is another thing that we think uniquely God has called us to invest in as a church. I'll just mention Genesis 2, 18 through 25 is God's call Adam and Eve that He created the first marriage. Marriage was God's idea. It was one man and it was one woman. And related to passing on the faith primarily, you go to a passage like Deuteronomy 6, Verses 4 through 9, when God was in that covenant with the nation of Israel, He said to fathers, I want you to talk about me and my word with your children in every avenue of life when you sit down or when you rise up, when you're walking in the way or when you lie down at night. That my word should be communicated from you as parents to your children in every aspect of life. It's not something that we just do on Sunday mornings. That's God's call to parents. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15 say that every family's identity is gained through uniquely through God the Father. And marriages specifically and families are based on the model of God's Trinitarian unity. We may, for political reasons or for public policy, we may redefine marriage. But guys, we cannot effectively redefine marriage because we didn't create it. God created it. And so as a church, we are saying we want to focus on what God has said is true about marriage and families. And we want to help husbands and wives and parents and children... See, the glory and the joy that God has for them in glorifying Him in those relationships in the home. So we're serious about that. Now, having said that, if you're sitting in a church and someone says, man, we're all about marriages and families and parenting. And if you say, you know, I'm divorced, Mike. I'm divorced and remarried. Maybe more than once. Or my kids didn't grow up the way I wanted them to. Or my kids right now, I really don't have a good handle on that. 
and you're squirming and you say, maybe this is the wrong church for me. Please, uh, this is the right place for you. And you be patient with us and we'll be patient with you, but we think we can encourage you. If you feel like marriage or family life has been a weakness, we think you're in the right place. We think we can encourage you and we can all be encouraged together. And the families here, you know, we're not all the success stories. Please don't get the wrong impression. We are all works in progress. But if you say, that's the area I need help in, I think you've come to the right place. If that's where you're heading, I think we can help you. Also, the biblical necessity of humble, loving service to others. We are serious about giving feet to what we say we believe, and that means we're serious about service, about investing ourselves in others. Kent's been giving a teaching series called Reach Out, in which he's been reminding us that as Christ's followers, remember, Christ in Isaiah is, among other things, the suffering servant. And when Jesus came to the earth, he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And if we claim Jesus Christ as our Savior and mentor and the one we're following, friends, we cannot fail to serve. We must not fail, we must serve. Kent's talked about thoughtfully, wisely, lovingly, and intentionally reaching out in meaningful service to others. Some of that's in the church, in the body of Christ, and some of that's outside. We've been having uh, venues we've, we've highlighted monthly, and that may be bi-monthly coming up, but we'll talk about ways and people and groups that you can plug into and serve outside our comfort zones sometimes. About half a dozen from this group right here signed up last month to do lunch buddies this school year coming up. It's a great opportunity to mentor someone who just needs a friend. So we'll highlight ways in which we want to be serious about investing in the lives of others. James, who was a hard-shelled guy, bottom-line kind of guy, said in James 1.27, true religion is serving the needs of those who can't help themselves like widows and orphans. Just thinking about Haiti, something this church has been deeply invested in for about seven years. First John, John was a black and white kind of a guy also. First John 3.16 through 18 says, Whoever has this world's goods and closes his heart against his brother who has needs, John says, how does God's love abide in that person? If I realize you have a need that I have the provision for and I say, be warm and be filled. God bless you, brother or sister, but don't do anything to provide for you. John says, how does the love of God abide in that person? He's inferring the love of God does not abide in that person. We need to be serious about serving others. Uh, for lack of time, I'm just going to mention, clearly we're committed to prayer, we're committed to evangelism and worship as a normal part of the church, and you'll hear more of those things over time, but sort of our bedrock things that we're focusing on, those are three of the big ones. I'm going to quickly go through the Lion and Lamb mission. I doubt if anyone but me here from memory can quote the Lion and Lamb mission. Mission statements are important if they are true of the entity that they represent. They're important because they tell a person what you believe, where you're going, and how you think you'll get there. So they're a big deal. By the way, they're on our bulletin every week. If you read your bulletin, the mission statement's on there. And this is the mission statement. Lion and Lamb Church is a fellowship of worshiping believers committed to authentically pursuing a vital relationship with Jesus Christ and obeying all His commands. Lion Lamb Church is a fellowship 
of worshiping believers committed to authentically pursuing a vital relationship with Jesus Christ and obeying all His commands. <clears throat> if you've been here long and you tell people, I go to Lion Lamb Church, probably like me, you get a funny look from lots of people, lion and lamb. So, are you talking about stuffed animals? Are we going to the zoo or the barnyard? What, what is this about? And it's not about stuffed animals or going to the zoo. Lion and lamb. <clears throat> the name of the church trades on two key images that God Himself gives of our Savior Jesus in the Scriptures. The first is John one twenty nine. When John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, he says to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. The Lamb in Lion and Lamb is that we are following a crucified Savior, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's Jesus on display as the Lamb of God, slain before the foundations of the earth. The other, that image of the lion, that's both from Genesis 49 and Revelation 5.5. In Revelation, God wants a book open so John can see what's coming up in the future, but no one's found worthy in heaven or on earth to open that scroll. And John starts to weep, but someone says, don't weep. Because we found someone. And what was standing in their midst was a lamb. But now the lamb has somehow morphed into a lion. The lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. So as to open the book. Our name has to do with the imagery of Jesus. Both in His humility... In the incarnation where He came to die for our sins, we follow a crucified, rejected Savior. But also in His coming glory, we follow the King of kings. The Lord of all lords who says He is yet going to come to this earth, plant His feet back on the Mount of Olives, and claim the kingdoms of this earth as His own kingdoms. So we follow both a slain lamb, that's our salvation, but we serve a coming king. That's the name of the church, lion and lamb. A fellowship, Acts 2.42. Friends, we want to be serious about fellowship with each other. Fellowship means we interact with each other. It means we might like each other. And even when we don't, we hang out with each other anyway. Because we know it's what God's called us to. And you see that exactly as typical of the life of the early church in that passage there in Acts 2. That the new disciples, those new Christians, were giving themselves regularly to the apostles' teaching. That's the Scriptures. And to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, that's worship, and to prayer. That's the life of the church. That's what we're called to. But we focus on fellowship. We want to be intentional about relationships with each other, whereby we all grow. Each one of us, by the way. No lone rangers. There's no super saints. None of us can go it alone in the Christian life. We're not called to, and we shouldn't try to. And so fellowship is just part of the normal process where we hang with, we encourage, we exhort each other because that's what God's called us to. So we want to focus on fellowship. A fellowship of worshiping believers, John 4, 23. Jesus said that God the Father, this is interesting, is looking for worshipers. Do we want to raise our hand to that? Because that's who God's looking for. Worshipers, those who will worship Him in spirit and truth. When we say worship, by the way, we don't mean that we come here on Sunday morning only and worship, and that's worship. Worship is meant to be a way of life. The biblical call to worship means I lay my life at Jesus' feet. I say, Lord, I'm yours, body, soul, and mind. You've got my time, my talents, my words, my hands, my money. I'm yours. That's worship. 
So when we say we're a worshiping body, we're saying we want to be intentional about giving God our all. Now some of that, significantly, is here on Sunday morning. We worship when we listen to the Scriptures. We're taking in the Word of God. That's Jesus with us. We worship when we break bread together. We worship when we pray for each other and when we declare the excellencies of Christ our Savior in song. That's all worship, but worship is more than that. And friends, let me say this. This is sort of my opportunity to get my shots in, right? So if I'm offensive, tell me later, but I'll get this in because I think we need to hear it. If you're bashful about worship, you don't know your Savior the way you should. We shouldn't worry about what people around us think. We've been saved with reckless abandon by the Son of God who came and took on our sins. We can afford to be embarrassed or to feel uncomfortable declaring His excellencies. That's where we're headed. Our future is in heaven, worshiping our Savior. We should be about that now. And you in heaven will throw our crowns at His feet. We're, we're laying ourselves at His feet, offering Him all we are and have. That's worship. That's what we want to be serious about here and now as well. Uh, committed to authentically pursuing a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. This basically means, guys, we don't want to play church. We, we don't want to be hypocrites. You know... If it's, uh, if it's about posturing or impressing others, I'd say go find a better game. You know, I'm not worth impressing, frankly. And you probably aren't either. And if, if we're serious about this thing, then we want to be authentic. We want to be real. So, you know, that means that we can say when we're blowing it and we're sinning, I'm blowing it, I need help in this area, that's okay. We're here for each other, we're authentic. We don't want to play at church. It's not worth our time, frankly. Who wants to hang out with religious hypocrites? Lose, lose. Truly. We want to be authentic. And we know that the life, the joyful, abundant life that I want, that I think we want here, you find that in Christ. So when we say we're pursuing that vital relationship with Jesus Christ, we're saying we're going for the gusto. And the gusto is not in a beer label. Christ is life qualitatively. So we want to be authentic about pursuing Christ in relationship, knowing that's the best life any of us can possibly have. That's worth sharing with someone else. Obedience is not a penalty to be born. It's a means to blessing. And by the way, it's the expression of true love. Jesus says multiple times, If you love me, obey me. If you love me, Obey me. If I say I love Jesus and obedience isn't typical of my life, I should quit saying I love Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, obey me. Let me give you some caveats, uh, just some FYIs. We're growing as a church, and I would just ask you to be patient with each other and with us as leaders. We're growing, and so there's a plea here to just be patient. Lion and Lamb has existed as a church for about 16 years. And for most of those 16 years, we've been a pretty small church. And we have more than doubled in size, quite a bit more, almost tripled in size in about three years. And we're glad for that. And not because numbers represent success, but because we think we know a God who's worth sharing. We think that we have some things that God wants us to pass on to others. So we're, we're encouraged by that. 
But with growth comes just the challenges of growing and dealing with more numbers. And there's things we're just, we just struggle with. We're not that great with. So we're growing and we ask for your patience. So if you see something that needs attention, let any of the leaders know. And if it's not taken care of, let us know again. And sometimes just realize, and we'll probably tell you, some things will just occur slowly because we're just getting to them as we're able. But we're a growing church and so we'd ask for your patience. We're also a diverse church, which means we need to be especially flexible with each other. A diversity is a good thing. If this was a homogenous group, I'd be concerned. And happily it's not, and I'm thrilled by that. But diversity requires a kind of flexibility with each other because it means we come from different backgrounds. We have different priorities. We have different things that we think are best. Did you know that everyone here does not like the same music? Did you know that? Did you know that on Sunday, Sunday to Sunday, that some people don't love one song as much as I do, and I don't love each song as much as others? Did you know that? That's, that there's diversity of taste and opinion. And so we need to be flexible with each other. But guys, we're diverse racially, ethnically, national origins, homeschoolers, public schoolers, private schoolers. We come from, ecclesiastically, Roman Catholic, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Church of Christ, you name it, it's here. We're diverse, and I love that. But it requires that we have some flexibility with each other. So if your itch isn't getting scratched each Sunday, uh, we want there to be something here for everyone. If, If there's not something for you... You let us know for sure. I'm serious about that. But we've got to have flexibility with each other because we are very diverse. Paul said something about that in Romans 15, which I love. He was writing to a church that was heavily opinionated, maybe like you might be, like I know I am. And they had opinions about what the right foods were to eat and some that you shouldn't eat. And they had an opinion about days that you should observe as holidays and days you shouldn't. And in the context of this diversity of opinion, Paul said this, Romans 15, verse 5 and 6, May the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord, with one mind, saying the same things, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Diversity is a good thing. I'm all for it. And it means it's a guarantee that none of us will like everything else that goes on here. And that's probably okay. But at the end of the day, we want to be willing to come together and say on those bottom line issues that matter to God, we want to have one mind. And we want to have one voice. And with that singularity, we want to honor and glorify our God and Savior. So on those things that are peripheral, we're not going to take a strong stand. I talked to a guy the other day about eschatology and he was concerned about the church he came from. They were very rigid in their eschatology. And I said, well, we say that Jesus is coming back. And we don't say in our statement of belief that we're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, a-mill, pre-mill, post-mill. It's not articulated. Because for us it's a secondary issue. Jesus is coming back. Amen. We'll we'll fight, we'll live and die on that hill. But we won't on a number of other things. So, at the end of the day, 
that diversity is a very good thing. And you know what I, I love about this? In Revelation, if you don't love diversity, but you love Jesus and you're going to heaven, you're in trouble. Because heaven is the most diverse place in the universe. So you know, in Revelation 5.9, it says that people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation are together praising the Lamb of God. Heaven is a diverse place, reflecting the diversity God intends. So that diversity you see here in Lion and Lamb, we're just getting a head start on where we're going. So diversity is a good thing. We need to have some flexibility. The third caveat is we will blow it. <clears throat> Often. Big ways, little ways. And, and we ask, ask you to forgive us and to, to forgive each other and to keep going. For instance, sometimes we focus so much on families we neglect or we fail to be as intentional and inclusive of adult singles as we should be. And I'm on record now. I sincerely and humbly ask for your apology. I apologize to you. Ask your forgiveness on that. Because we haven't done as well on that as we should. And we're trying to remedy that. We're working on that. Uh, but we're going to blow it. That's just one for instance. And you could probably come up with a a basket load list of your own too. But it's a given. We're going to blow it. We ask for your forgiveness. We fail to communicate thoroughly and effectively. This is an Achilles heel for us. We're working hard at it. I'm administratively challenged personally, even with Patty Ann's help. I still have trouble with communication. So we're going to blow it. Um, that's for sure. We want to be a place, by the way, that works hard and we're very intentional about forgiving others and asking for forgiveness. And so I guarantee that you'll have plenty of opportunities to practice the virtue of forgiveness here at Lion and Lamb. We'll just ask you for that on the front end of things. I want to wind down uh, with a plea to you <clears throat> to invest. If at the end of the day you say, I understand God's calling me to fellowship at Lion and Lamb Church. This is, this is for you. And it's the call to invest. First, uh, come to the welcome class, Sunday school class that starts next Sunday right here in the gym, 9.30. That's the best first way to invest. You'll just get a sense of who Lionel is deeper than we can give here in 30 or 40 minutes and where we're going. It's a way to start plugging into the life of Lionel Lamb Church. Come to the welcome class starting here next Sunday. Join a home group or another small group venue. <clears throat> If Lion and Lamb is your home, you need to be plugged in relationally with others. We said we're a fellowship. We're serious about calling people to fellowship. That means you have to have a mechanism to interact with others regularly. You need to plug into a small group of some form. Guys, this is interesting. I can tell you, and this is true in our church just as it is in others. If you go to church on Sunday morning and you think you're an obedient Christian, I can tell you with, with no further questions, you're not. You're not. And I can tell you at least 50 commands in the New Testament you're disobeying without asking you any more questions. Because if you're not plugged in relationally with others, and this requires intention, it requires hanging out with the same people over time, you cannot obey the, the 50 plus commands in the New Testament to love one another, serve one another, exhort one another, forgive one another, pray for one another. There's over 50 one another passages in the New Testament. You cannot keep them. You cannot obey your Savior if you're not intentionally in fellowship with others in the body. I can tell you're a disobedient Christian. 
black and white, period. You have to plug in intentionally with others. We do that usually through small groups. Home groups, prayer groups, there's a number of options. There's a bunch of options on that information table in the back there. But you've got to plug in relationally if Lion and Lamb is your church home. Another thing is to simply show up on Sunday mornings. If Lion and Lamb is your church home, show up on Sunday mornings. And it sounds odd to say that. I don't know how that sounds to you. It sounds odd to say that, but we have to say that. Because the church, both Lion and Lamb specifically and the church of Jesus Christ broadly in the West today, we face stiff competition with lots of other options for Sunday morning. There was a, a poll done recently among a number of pastors and they were asked uh, related to uh, the lack of numbers that had been typical of their church, what, what was the case behind that? And universally they said it was competition from other venues on Sunday morning. And can you guess which uh, Sunday morning competition headed the list? I'll bet you can. Uh, uh, children's sports. Children's sports, yeah. Children's sports. I mean, there's other things like sleeping in, hobbies like fishing and hunting. But children's sports leads the way. And guys, I talk, uh, I, if I just look through the room, not to make anybody feel guilty, but this is something I talk about with many of you individually. And you know that's something we mention as a church. <clears throat> A children's sports on Sunday mornings, I would just make a plea with you to chuck it. I would just ask you to, to make a dedication between you, the Lord, and your children to give them the best example and say, sports on Sunday mornings is not an option. Just to, just to start. You know, Eric Little, we know Eric Little today for one reason and one reason only. You wouldn't have known him as a missionary. And you wouldn't have known him as an athlete. If he didn't do one thing in his life that made history. Most of you know the story, but Eric Little was one of the fastest men in the world, and going into the 1924 Olympic Games, he was the favorite to win the 100 meters. But Little was a committed Christian, and he'd made a decision not in the Olympics. He made it before the Olympics. And he decided that should there be a qualifying heat on Sunday, he would not run in it. Now, Little had a theology of the Sabbath and Sunday that I don't share. But that's okay. He believed Sunday was the Sabbath, and you were to do no work on the Sabbath. And so he decided to put God first and say, I won't compete on the Sabbath. And so the qualifying round for the 100 meter came on Sunday. And he said, I won't run. Couldn't be convinced otherwise. Now, he knew that was a possibility. So he trained for the 400 meters also. Now you've got to understand, Little is a sprinter. Now today, the athletes we have today are crazy, remarkably good. I mean, ridiculously good. But Little was a sprinter. We're talking 100 meters, 200 meters. 400 meters in their day was not a sprint. You cruised the first half, you sprinted the last. Little's a sprinter. His qualifying time for that 400 meters in the Olympics, it was not very good. He was far and away not the favorite. But the finals came. He made the finals. And if you've seen the movie, you know what happens. A trainer from the American track team slipped little. This is true. This really happened. Before he entered the blocks, the starting blocks, slipped him a piece of paper. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, sorry. This happens occasionally. 
First uh, Samuel two thirty. The man who honors God, God will honor. And that's what Little clutched as he ran a sprint around that track. And Little he brought, he he set Amer- he set world and Olympic records in that race. He ran two seconds faster than his fastest time. And guys, if you're not in track and field and haven't run the 400 meters, that's unheard of. See, but he was inspired by a guy who told him, God will honor you because you put him first. And guys, children's sports is not at the top of God's list of priorities. It's just not. So I would just challenge you to honor God by putting God first for your sake and your children's. Guys, what does it say to your children if sports is equal to church and worshiping God? The only time of the week, by the way, this is the only time of the week, Sunday morning, when the family of God, the body of Christ, gets together. It's the only time. You know, children's sports occurs every other time during the week. There's this one little niche in the week. And I don't mean to pick on children's sports. This should be a priority to us. I guess I do. Sorry, I do. Uh, But... But that's sort of the chief culprit these days. But we should be serious about worshiping God. And part of that just means showing up. God, you're worthy of our time on Sunday morning. We're going to show up. And my kids are going to know you're key and chief and priority in my life because we say you're it. Kids sports isn't. But guys, neither is hunting or fishing or sleeping in, etc. You get it. It's, it's showing up. Last and uh, not least, last but not least is to serve. If you're comfortable sitting in line and lamb week after week, not serving and not giving generously, we're blowing it. And you are too. Galatians 5.13 says, Through love, serve one another. Uh, one year ago this month, <clears throat> a mega church in Salem, Winston-Salem sent out letters to everyone in their church. This is 8,000 people. This is a big church. 8,000 people. They all got a letter in the mail. And among those who got it were Julie and Bob Clark. They were stunned to receive a letter from their church asking them to participate in the life of the church or worship elsewhere. They basically called us freeloaders, says Julie. We were freeloaders, says Bob. That church, 8,000 people, Less than half of that 8,000 had volunteered in any service in any way in the previous three years. Fully a third of that 8,000 had never given a dime to the church. And these letters politely but firmly told everyone in the church, you're blowing our mission. We can't afford you. You just want child care and entertainment. We can't afford you. You're not our mission. Our mission is to reach people for Jesus Christ and disciple them. And so if that's not who you are and where you're going, we are politely asking you to go elsewhere. Don't show up here. Now, I loved it that, that might sound insulting, right? But it was loving, it was polite, it was appropriate. Surprisingly, the move to disinvite people has drawn positive response, especially from men who like the idea of an in-your-face church. I thought, a church that doesn't allow this, that rocks, says Bob Clark. He and Julie are now tithing and volunteering. We've taken our place in church life, he says. That's normal. That should be normal. 
We are called, as followers of a servant Savior, to serve each other. We're called to serve. You need to serve if Lion and Lamb is your church home. Did you know in this church, I counted up, on any given Sunday with Sunday school class, you know it, it takes over 40 volunteers to make Sunday school and this service happen. It takes over 40 volunteers every single Sunday. You know, if you come early, you'll see guys setting up chairs, the musicians setting up. There's people that set up for potluck after service. There's Sunday school teachers and helpers and nursery workers and helpers and information table and coffee and donuts, you name it. The list just goes on and on. Based on numbers, if every young adult and adult volunteered to serve, you'd serve once every four to six weeks. It'd be doable. It's easy. I loved it when Matt Wilson uh, talked to me from Dallas, Texas. If you remember, the Wilsons left here in January, went down to Dallas. Matt started DTS Seminary here just in the last week or so. And Matt told me we, we finally found a church home and we'd been hanging out there for a while. And we showed up one Sunday morning with Isabella, our bundle of joy at the nursery, and handed her off and they said, when are you volunteering? And, and it, it caught them short slightly, but then they realized, oh, yeah, this is our church home. We better help. We better volunteer also. I love that. So if Lion and Lamb is your church home, you need to invest in others by serving. If Lion and Lamb is the place God's called you to walk out your faith, we can promise you this. You'll hear the gospel presented regularly, unapologetically, clearly, and you'll be exhorted to share the gospel with those around you. The gospel that God loves the world. He sent His beloved Son Jesus to die on the cross in our place to ransom us back to Himself and declare His coming kingdom. Jesus is not a wuss. Jesus is a conquering king who's coming. And we tell people, get ready, because Jesus is coming and He's bringing the kingdom with Him. And not as a lamb, but as a lion. You'll hear the Bible taught topically, verse by verse, expositionally and applicationally, and you'll be encouraged to make the Word of God a regular part of your life. You'll be encouraged to invest deeply in the lives of others and allow others to invest deeply in your life. You'll be encouraged to live your life as an act of worship. If that's where you're going, that's where we're going. And we'll get there together. Father God, we bless you for your good love and your mercy and your grace poured out abundantly on us in your Son by your Spirit today. Lord, we long to see you face to face. We long to join that heavenly host throwing our rewards at your feet, Lord Jesus, declaring your praises. Father, help us to do that now as we worship. And Lord God, would you help each one of us here know where you want us to plug into the body of Christ? It's so important to know where our calling is. Lord, for those for whom lion and lamb is their place, the place you want them to walk out, their faith. Lord, help them to plug in. Help us to plug in. Serve each other. Love each other. Give generously. Lord, for those here this morning for whom lion and lamb is not the place you're calling them to walk out that faith and that life. Show them where you want them to plug in and invest and serve you in the lives of others. Lord Jesus, we give you ourselves. Amen.